So I have uh, the notes in the chat. If you uh, need them, they're there. And let me get back over here. I was saying about the um, the introduction. Uh, don't freak out when I spend a bulk of the time on the not a bulk of but a a third of the outline that I have is the introduction. But it's because there were. I think a lot of really significant points that are made in this lesson that didn't really fit easily into the outline that I was seeing in the lesson. They really were more foundational things. So I'm just going to go through those really quickly. Um, I left you a little space to write some things. If anything's worthwhile in there, I don't think anything's going to be um, like earth shatteringly profound. A lot of these are those common sense things that just need to be said rather than assumed. So first off, though, to start with, um, you know, this is this is the chapter, the lesson on guarding a child's mind. And the key concept there at the top of your notes is godly parents choose their child's environment wisely. And it's easy for us when we think about this concept, this category or, or topic, to think of it as primarily about keeping our kids from seeing or listening to or reading vulgar things, you know, keeping, keeping them away from the ugly things. And, um, you know, to be sure there are some vulgar, ugly things in the broken world we live in that we do want to protect them from, uh, especially when they're young, impressionable, inexperienced, immature. Um, but, it, it goes much deeper than that, like we've been talking about in pretty much every lesson, because um, we are talking about uh, really being entrusted with a child's heart. And we even talk about it here as a child's mind. And in, in the Bible, when you read about, you know, Proverbs talking about guarding your heart, it's talking about your inner person. So not just your emotions, like we think of in modern day when we say heart, like you have my heart. Um, but the heart is the inner man, the inner person. And oh, I'm going to drop <laughs> uh, the notes into the chat one last time. Okay, so Stuart, let's need those. There it is. So those are coming over, Jonathan, if you, if you need them. So we often think about this as protecting kids from seeing or listening to the ugly, the vulgar, uh, the, the dirty things of the world. And what I want us to remember, it's primarily about instilling in our children God's values as opposed to the world's values. And because of this, the danger is much more subtle because it's not just the ugly, the overt, um, the obscene things that have a warning label on them before they come across our screen. No, it's much more subtle for that because we are battling for the hearts and minds of our children, for their inner person, the way they think, what they set their affections on, uh, what they establish as their guiding values in life. So values is a key word here. And that's what um, when Pastor Ken has taught over the years about worldliness and you look at the statements the New Testament makes about protecting yourself from the world and um, not not uh, thinking like the world or being pressed into its mold. What it's talking about and what Pastor Ken reminds us of is, is worldliness is not a list of do's and don'ts or a list of things you don't do. Worldliness is the world, the system set against God. It's that system's fallen values. 
And what we're looking to do is instill in our children um, something that contradicts those fallen values that we gravitate to naturally as fallen people and instill them with what God says really is valuable, with God's values. And this battle is difficult. You know, the battle for our kids' hearts and minds is difficult, um, not only because of its subtlety, that it's little things, that thing, things that seem innocuous, that don't seem dangerous, um, but also because it's waged every bit as much in the way we model godly values to our children in everyday life as it is in us policing the content that they're exposed to or that they stream on their devices or so on. So it's a tall order because the things that um, we're protecting them, we're trying to protect them, protect them from are invisible. They're ideas, they're ways of thinking, a grid that life is looked at through. And we can tell them all we want what they should think is important, but the way we live in front of them is really going to either cement that in or it's going to undercut it. So uh, one of the things we want to remember, because this is such a subtle and invisible, if you will, process, that repetition aids learning. This is the kind of thing that Deuteronomy is talking about when God urges parents to remind your children of my law when you're walking in the in the street with them, when you're sitting down in your house, when you're laying down at night, when you're at the dinner table, you know, and, and God tells Moses to write this down that bind them, you know, on your clothing, put, it needs to be the air you breathe. So repetition aids learning. Uh, one of the sayings I like that, uh, that Betsy, um, mentioned in the book was you achieve what you emphasize. And so this really has to be kind of a theme in your home that, that we value what God values. And when we look at anything in life, whether it's movies and we'll talk about different categories or what we're reading or what's happening in politics or, or, you know, what happened in kindergarten today um, or what the weather is like or any of these other otherwise seemingly innocuous topics that we connect these to what God says. And so the challenge is um, multi, it's multifaceted. Um, we need to be, it's difficult because we need to be providing regular exposure to what the Bible describes as things that are true. You know, the, the, uh, Philippians chapter, uh, what chapter is that? Whatsoever things are, I think it's chapter three. I'm forgetting. I didn't write it down in front of me here. Um, we need to have regular exposure to that. We want to protect them from not dwelling on what is ungodly and remember it's primarily values, but it's not just a list of do's and don'ts. So then it's, it's things like the New Testament talks about in Colossians chapter two. If you want to jot down a couple references, Colossians chapter two, verses six through eight, where we're told to just as we receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live our lives in him, rooted and built, uh, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness and see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy which depends on human tradition and elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. So you can see the the uh, contrast that's drawn right here, being rooted up and built up, rooted and built up in Christ, strengthened in the faith, overflowing with thankfulness, as opposed to taking captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, the way the world thinks. 
you know, the thing, the things that everybody are saying, this is important, this is valuable, but ne- don't necessarily line up with what God says is important and valuable. And it can be difficult because, um, you know, when our children are young, especially, uh, it's, hel- it's hard sometimes to help them understand why it's important that we value what God says, even if your friends think that that's dumb or if your friends think that that's weird. Ephesians 4, 14 and 15 says, Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every aspect a mature, the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. And then a couple others I'll just mention briefly because you're probably familiar with them. Romans 12, 2. Don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Isaiah 26, 3. You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. And if you want to jot down one more, Philippians 4, 6, and 7, where we're told to not be anxious, but fixing our mind on God, take our request to him, and he provides peace, um, and he guards our hearts and minds. So all of those passages are talking about our mindset, the way we think, whether it's um, um, having correct thoughts about God and the world, um, not being distracted by the values, the fallen, foolish, temporal values of the world around us, or whether it's being able to trust God in the middle of otherwise scary anxiety inspiring circumstances because we trust what God says. And because of our sin nature, we're easily lured away by worldly values. And like us, our children are easily lured away by worldly values. The pressure on them feels overwhelming to them at times, especially as they get older and they're now um, having influences outside of just mom and dad uh, gain importance in, in their minds. And, you know, we, th- we think of James chapter one describes to us how we are attacked, um, how we fall prey to sin. It says when we're tempted, we shouldn't say God's tempting me because God cannot be tempted by evil and doesn't tempt anyone. But each of us is tempted when we are dragged away by our own evil desire and enticed. And then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. And this this is why it's so difficult, because we have this whole world around us and all the broken, fallen values calling and beckoning to us and to our children. And it strikes a chord with us. There's something that it connects with in us because we are naturally sinners. And so um, it's very important that we understand the nature of this challenge. And that's all, what I've been talking about so far is the nature of the challenge. It's the subtlety, the invisible kind of character uh, that the challenge, the battle has, not just the things you can see and write a list of, but it's, it's more um, internal than that. And then the things you can make a list of are really just the external signs of it. Um, and so what I want to do on the first point there is give you four principles to remember. Uh, these are helpful principles that the, the book went over, and I'll, I'll just say a couple things about each of them. 
And I think I've got some blanks for you on those, and I'll make sure that I uh, fill those in for you. So principle number one is guarding a child from everything does not work. And it's not only because it's impossible to shield a child from every evil, though it is, but it's because the child's heart is inherently inclined towards evil, just as our own hearts are. So I just finished talking about that from James chapter 1. But there is the challenge. So a takeaway from this, the principle is, if your strategy is, I'm just going to, you know, if you remember when you teach a kid to ride a bike and you... Um, you know, you got the training wheels on them. You put the elbow pads on them, the helmet. Uh, you know, you could just see the, the, uh, stereotypical parent, uh, in, in, uh, commercials or TV shows and they've got the kid in bubble wrap because my baby, I don't want my baby to get hurt. And, uh, if we're thinking of taking that approach to trying to help protect our children's minds, uh, that won't work indefinitely. In fact, uh, in the long run, if that's our main strategy, um, we're really going to be missing uh, the main thing, and that is uh, their hearts, like ours, are corrupt. And so they don't need, they don't, uh, eventually, even if we protect them from all the outside evil, there's evil inside. We have to help them see it for what it is by instilling in them God's values as opposed to those values that we naturally will come by. So that's principle number one. We're going to talk about these in the discussion. So uh, if you have any questions bubbling up from that brief explanation of that, jot it down and we'll, we'll talk about it. Um, principle number two, teach children to flee from evil and guard their own thought life. Teach children to flee from evil and guard their own thought life. This is really important because what, what we're doing if we're, if we're focused on this is we're focusing on, um, not just imposing safety from the outside. Now, when they're really little, you have to do that. Uh, you know, that's how it all starts. But the end in mind, even from the very beginning where we're giving them those external constraints, you know, the circle that we've talked about many weeks uh, in past lessons, that starts that way. But the goal, even from the beginning, is that we're trying to help them mature to the point where they see the value of guarding their own heart, of heeding the the challenge in Proverbs that says, guard your heart above all, because out of it flow all the issues of life. So teaching children to to fear evil, to um to be willing to guard their own thought life because they know that evil is destructive. And even though it entices and it promises good things, that it can only deliver destruction. So principle, principle number three, the Lord wants us to be out in the world, but not overtaken by it. And so that we can be his messengers to lost people because see, we've get, been given uh, a mission and the mission involves us being out in the world. We can't carry out our mission if we cloister off. You know, if we get our Christian bubble at church, and then we all go to a Christian school. Not that there's anything wrong with Christian schools. They can be a really good tool, but that's, that's just it. They're a tool. They're not the answer. They're, they're not the solution to raising children, um, in, in the ad, nurture and admonition of the Lord. They can be a tool for that if we use it properly. But we've got to be out in the world. We can't just bubble ourselves off, um, and fulfill our mission. And so if we do any of that, 
protective measures where we, you know, give our children a safer environment, it's got to be calculated and it's got to be um, done in an intentional way that doesn't short circuit uh, the mission that God's given us and doesn't fall prey to the the dangers that that kind of a, a world can have when we have external conformity, we can feel like everything's okay with us. Even when our hearts inside are corrupt, um, we can, we can figure out ways to keep our sin respectable and have a whole culture of, of respectable sin. So the Lord wants us to be out in the world, but not overtaken by it because our mission involves reaching the lost. Principle number four, we are not slaves to our instincts as if we have no choice or ability to control ourselves. And two things, I'm going to conclude what she says here. We're not slaves to our instincts. Um, the principle number four goes on to say, rather as spiritual beings, we have the choice to live above fleshly instincts and desires. But I think um, Betsy would agree with this because she points to it at other places in the book, even though it's not stated here. Before your child trusts Jesus as their savior, they are a slave to our uh, fleshly desires to their old nature, to their animal-like instincts, if you will, and um, that is that is one of the things that Jesus changes when He saves us. So I just point to that again because when your children are really young, this is something you want to keep in mind, and it's the reason we're always pointing back issues that we have with them, corrective strategy and uh, training and. Um, all of the teaching that we're giving them and, uh, and correction is that we want to address the heart because we want them to see if they haven't trusted Jesus as a, as their savior yet, that they're fighting a futile battle, that they're struggling to obey. And even if they're trying their hardest, they're incapable. And that's why we need to be rescued. So, uh, Principle four is we're not slaves to our instincts. And this specifically means if we've trusted Jesus as our Savior, we're no longer slaves to sin, but we can be slaves to righteousness, Paul says in Romans. So those are the four principles, four key principles to remember. We'll talk, we'll have a chance to uh, talk about any questions you have about them in the discussion section. So now let me give you some common categories to keep in mind. And remember, I'm going to give you, these are kind of, you know, if the introduction was the foundation, those four principles I gave you were kind of some structure to the building. And then this is the finishing work. This is the wallpaper. This is the carpet. These, this is the furniture going into if we were building a structure or a house. And these are categories, broad categories to think in terms of. But remember, you can't just make a list and say, okay, can't do that. Always do this. Can't do that. There you go. You're good. You got your behaviors down in line. It's about values. And if we focus on values, valuing what God says is good and beautiful and true versus what the world says, we can then apply those to each of these categories. So here are the categories. First one, materialism. Materialism. And um, Ecclesiastes, I'll give you a couple of references. Uh, I've got four verses here you can write down. Ecclesiastes 5.10. That says, Ecclesiastes 5.10, that says, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. So as the preacher's proclaiming all of these things that he's found to be meaningless, striving against the wind, uh, one of them is 
wealth, material wealth. And that's, again, that's a value statement, right? The world around us thinks that material wealth really is one of the key things in life. But we recognize that God says, though money is important, it's not important in and of itself. It's valuable in that it shows uh, it can show where our allegiance is. It can be a tool we use for God's glory, but that's it. It's only valuable in its proper place. Hebrews 13.5, it's another reference. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, I never will leave you, never will I forsake you. So free from the love of money. And you you remember elsewhere um, that we're told that the, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And sometimes it's quoted back that money is the root of all evil. It's not what it says. It says the love of money. And just like Hebrews 13, 5 speaks about the love of money. Colossians 3, 2 tells us to set our minds on things above, not on earthly things. So our primary focus is on God's values. 1 John 2, 15 says, do not love the world or anything in it. And remember the world, it's that system that's set against God that system of fallen values. Do not love the world or anything in it. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. So materialism. And that is um, allowing ourselves to fall into the trap of thinking we have to have everything that our unbelieving friends and neighbors have. That our life's agenda has to be set by the cultural agenda that people have. You know, you've You've got to go to college, get your four-year degree. You've got to, uh, then you have a couple of years where you start your career, get that well-established. Then you get married. Then you have your 2.5 kids, dog, two cars in the driveway, garage, suburbs, that whole thing. You got to work really hard, putting money away, squirrel it away for your retirement. There's nothing wrong with a single thing I listed there. Nothing wrong with any of them. But those are idols in our culture. That's what people live for. And that is not what we live for. Um, those are tools. They're, they're not toys for our pleasure and our own fulfillment and personal consumption. They're tools God's given us. He put us here for a reason. We have a mission and he gives us good things, things that are enjoyable to be stewards of. Uh, but we're stewards of them. They're God's things. So materialism. Secondly, uh, letter B there is reading materials. So materialism is just one broad category. Think about stuff and how we teach our kids to think about stuff. Um, let me back up one, one last thing to say about that. If we're always worried about money, we're teaching our children about materialism. Um, you know, it can be, it can be, um, easy to recognize materialism if we accumulate a lot of money. And we just shower our kids with material gifts and we can see that somebody doing that is maybe being too, too focused on materialism. But we can do the same thing if we're without, if we're struggling, if we're poor and we're constantly worrying about and upset about the things we don't have. That also teaches our kids about materialism. So the second thing, letter B, reading materials. And uh, this is just an area that um, reading is Great. Reading is a wonderful uh, blessing. We can have access to God's word because it's been recorded in written format. Uh, reading is a wonderful thing, and we should teach children to love reading from a very young age. Uh, but we should watch what they read because um, it is 
one of the most effective ways to communicate value. You know, the stories that we read, the teaching that we read, uh, the entertainment that we read, uh, it's all in a context of the values of the storyteller or the teacher or the writer. And so it's important uh, that we watch what we feed ourselves and in turn what we feed our children in terms of reading. Uh, one example given in the book, it's almost unbelievable, and it's from, I think it's from 1995. I didn't write the year down. <clears throat> but uh, it says, it's from Seventeen Magazine over 20 years ago. And uh, it says, keep a woman's, I think it was a clothing ad, keep a woman's right to choose unless George Bush, George Bush Sr., uh, is free to babysit. So it was an abortion rights um, ad uh, promoting their agenda. And uh, I guess there was a big push. Um, it seems like a pipe dream now that uh, George Bush uh, Sr. would overturn Roe versus Wade. And this was in a clothing ad. And there was not a stitch of clothing on the page. It just had this full-page message. And, um, you know, they're targeting this magazine, 17 Magazine. Their target audience is 15-year-old and under. So, uh, I mean, you can't just look at the kids' section or, you know, of the magazines or of the books and assume, okay, it's for kids, it'll be good. Know where your kids read. And so when your kids have reading projects at school, um, our kids' school, they went to the public school in Brownstown here, Wiginka Elementary, and they had a great reading program. Our, our kids really learned to enjoy reading through the program. But, you know, you you need to know what your kids are reading. Read with them or at least um, preview and check out what it is they're reading, what it's about. And it doesn't mean you never let them read anything with uh, with controversial or something you might not agree with in it. It just means you are a guide there for them. As they get older, it's actually helpful to expose them to ideas that we don't agree with so you can help them see what the answers to those things are. Um, so it's not just a, you know, cut it off if they don't agree with you. If they don't, if they can't sell it on, uh, christianbook.com, then you can't get it. That's not, that's not what I'd recommend at all. But it's, it's a matter of being engaged as a parent. Um, so letter C, TV and movies. And this is really the same thing, maybe on steroids, even more important because TV and movies are such a more um, passively and quickly, rapidly digested medium. Um, so, uh, and it's just in our culture, it is the popular, most popular way to consume uh, ideas. And so I have a couple things down there. I think I gave you the fill-in component of the outline here because I want to give you some thoughts on this. First thought is intentionality with TV and movies. And by intentionality, I mean don't just kind of let happen whatever happens. You know, your kids get older, they, you know, you watch. <laughs> by all means, don't just use the TV as a babysitter when they're little. Um, TV time should be something you do intentionally. And, and I understand sometimes you just... You have to use it as a tool. I need to get this done. Here, watch this for a couple of minutes while mom or dad does such and such. Uh, but do that by intent, by plan. And uh, as they get older, then intentionality in, you know, limiting the amount of time um, that, that they uh, digest TV and movies. And as they get older and they talk about these things with friends 
and um, you know they want to see whatever the popular thing is. Being intentional about how you uh, go about that and how you um, help your children navigate it. I was going to say regulate, and that really would be an appropriate term, regulating. But I, I like even better the idea of talking about helping them navigate it. So as a parent, you're going to be pretty much calling all the shots when they're young. And as they get older, you're trying to help them learn to make wise choices. So intentionality, one of the ways that um, we've done this when our kids were little especially is location. Uh, you know, you've got a TV in your house, and um, a lot of times it's not uncommon for people to have multiple TVs one in, you know, every room or TV in each bedroom, TV in the living room, TV in the family room. And uh, just be careful uh, what we communicate and what we plan for ourselves by how we set that up. When our kids were little now, it was a, it was a different time. People weren't carrying around portable devices everywhere. But we really just had one TV. It was this little tiny one. Uh, it had a little VCR in it and we kept it in the basement. And when we first moved into that house, it was an unfinished basement. So it was actually like, it was an activity. If we were going to watch TV, it was an activity where we were like, all right, let's go downstairs and watch TV. It wasn't in our living room even. And I wasn't because I was opposed to watching TV or anything like that. I just partly I knew myself and I didn't want to facilitate bad habits I grew up with. And I didn't want to then instill those into my kids. So we made TV a very underemphasized thing. And then as they got a little older, when they were older, we did move a TV upstairs, but we still just had the one. It was a, you know, it was old technology and, um, we tried to use it intentionally. And the place we put it was part of how we did that. And we, even when we had it upstairs, it wasn't like the centerpiece of the living room. So, File all that away. You don't have to do it that way. That's what we did. I'm not telling you that's the only way to do it. But I am just saying, think about what you do. Don't just go, okay, people in the living room, they get an entertainment system, they get a 60-inch TV, all the bells and whistles surround them. It's what you're supposed to do. So we do it. No, you don't have to do that. Think about you and your um, ups and, you know, your strengths and weaknesses and what you want to do your, as your kids get older, think about their strengths and witnesses and be strategic and set yourself up to be successful in, in helping them in this area. And then content-wise, intentionality with content. And I listed for you here three current. There's some sites in the book that aren't active anymore. They're good sites. They're ones I've used in the past. But um, anytime we've gone to the movies with the kids, we use it for ourselves even, even when we're going to uh, watch a movie on TV. You can go on to one of these websites, type in the name of your movie, and especially like kids in mind, it'll rate it in four different categories. Like, I think it's like, um, sexuality, uh, language, violence, and objection, other objectionable elements, I think it is. And it'll give it a rating. And then below in the content section, it'll tell you exactly why they rated it the way they did. So before your kid goes to movies, with a friend. Just say, what are you seeing? Let's look it up. Uh, our kids just got used to, they knew they would look it up on their own because they knew we were going to look it up. So uh, that's the goal is you're trying to help them, not just, uh, my parents don't let me watch anything. No, we want to make wise choices. And if we don't, if we say, no, that's not a good choice, we can explain to them why it's not a good choice and uh, help them try to then begin adopting those views as their own. And then moderation is the second uh, sub point that I have under there. And this is something that I've had to be careful with myself. I love uh, a good story. I love the, 
I love to think about the point of view it's coming from. I really enjoy stories and, uh, you know, I read very little fiction in spite of that. Uh, but it's really easy to just get hooked on watching a movie or watching TV, binge watching whole seasons of things, uh, because it's enjoyable and it, it is mentally stimulating, stimulating, even though maybe not as, uh, much as reading would be. Um, so know yourself and make sure that you keep keep it in balance good things even out of out of balance uh good things overdone become bad things so moderation is important and then i've just got several others listed here i'm going to go through them pretty quickly uh internet is is one that also is important to emphasize um the internet really tv you can get some bad stuff on tv depending on uh what kind of cable you have um but the internet is really, it's the wild west. If, if you have, uh, open internet in your house, you're really, uh, just asking for it because your kids can see anything unintentionally or intentionally. And so it's really important to one, have insight into what your kids are doing online to be very intentional in how you let them use it. And two, to put safety, um, protocols in place. And I listed a couple of choices there for you. There are other things that you can get. Um, most internet providers will have some sort of parental safety controls that you can use. So you can check with your internet provider. Um, there's a great service called Covenant Eyes. And one of the best things about it is, uh, it works with you know, your regular computer and your internet browser, and it works with devices as well. And it doesn't just block things. It's not like a just a content blocker, but it keeps reports on things so that you can, as your child matures, you can give them um, some freedom, some leeway where they can make choices on their own. But then you can also help them know that, that, you know, keep them accountable that they're making good choices. And then there's another one, especially if you've got younger children. I've never used this one, but um, I've heard good things about it. It's called Disney Circle. And it has, it's, I think the benefit to it is it's super simple to use. It's a device that you put in your house. The device you put your internet into the device and then the device serves the internet. And so you can configure the device to block or let in or out or contain, uh, restrict to whatever you want it to. So those are, those are some ideas and we can talk more about those if you have questions after. And then, uh, just four other categories I'm going to just touch really briefly. Uh, one is music. I think similar to TV and movies, um, it's a medium that's super easy to digest. It's, available everywhere. Um, I mean, we all, ever since, when was it, 2001, Apple invented the iPod. Steve Jobs said, he held it up and said, you have a thousand songs in your pocket. I mean, we thought we were cool with our Walkmans and then later in the late 90s, the Discman. Uh, but these days, you know, we carry these around and I, I don't know, I must have thousands and th- probably 20,000 songs, a whole store of music available. And not all of it's good. And, you know, I'm not under the impression that, you know, hearing, um, you know, one bad song is going to turn your kid into a rebel. Uh, but it's the proverb that I was talking about earlier that you should be careful what you feed your heart, your mind, because it is what you put in shapes how you think and who you're becoming. And so you want to feed your mind good things. And, uh, you know, I don't happen to be one of the people who says you can't listen to anything if it's not explicitly Christian music. 
But I am a person who I have always felt very strongly that you should be intentional about the music you listen to. And uh, I've even gone as far, and I recommend doing this. If you've never done this, I recommend trying this. Um, I make playlists based on what I want to think about. And it's not always, it doesn't, it doesn't exclude secular music. Sometimes there's secular songs in there. But I choose them intentionally. I pick ones that promote thinking about um, good things, you know, and and even if it's uh, not written by a Christian, there are some songs that are written from a point of view that recognizes good things because of natural revelation. Um, and so uh, I put together playlists. I have thinking music. I have devotional music. Uh, I have music I play when I want to promote my mind to be in a state of uh, contemplating worship. Um, I have a date night playlist of, of music that's just intended to be relaxing. And I like to play it if my wife and I go somewhere together. And uh, there are all kinds of kids playlists I've used. Uh, we have a dishwashing playlist, a house cleaning playlist. I'm, I just Music is, uh, I think, a very powerful medium. Uh, the ability for music to infuse ideas with a strong emotion, I think, is a powerful thing. And so we should pick it wisely. We should be very intentional about it. If I could say one thing about music, it's not to tell you what you should listen to. It's to tell you how you should go about picking it, and that is intentionally. What do you want to think about? What do you want to, what do you want to feel? And, uh, if you're setting that by what God values, then it'll change what music you select. It'll influence it. So last three things, school assignments. You would think that this would be one you wouldn't have to mention. Um, but it is, uh, whether you go to a Christian school, homeschool or public school, your, your child's education is in your hands. You may delegate it, but it's your responsibility. And particularly if you're in a, a public school, you know, you, you may have teachers that don't share your biblical worldview. Thankfully, we, we had several who did as our kids were going to school in, uh, in Brownstown here, but it's not always like that. And, uh, they mentioned in the book an example of an essay one of their kids had to write, uh, called Mom and Dad Get Divorced. I, I read that and my jaw just dropped. Why would you? <laughs> and I, and I understand being sensitive that some kids go through this and you want to help them learn to cope with it because it's not their fault. But a kid whose family is stable and mom and dad are not getting divorced, to put that in a young child's mind, I think it was a fifth grade assignment. Um, so you just, you need to know what your kids are, are working on and it's important to be involved with that anyways. Um, two last two things, sleepovers. Um, when your child gets to the age where they want to stay the night at a friend's house or maybe with girls a lot of times it's a, everybody's getting together and having a sleepover. It'll oftentimes involve watching a movie. Um, they're going to play games. They're going to have just, you know, impromptu conversation. Uh, it's really important to be involved with this, to talk with your spouse and decide, is this something we do? Do we do sleepovers? And if we do, what are the guidelines on this? And um, because this is when, this is the age at which your children begin to have other outside voices coming in to influence them. And so you want to make sure that you're, Encouraging them to have, uh, friends that will, that will, um, uh, build them up, not tear them down, draw them away from God. And, uh, but we do want to be reaching people so they will hopefully have friend relationships with unbelievers as well. But the way you approach a sleepover at that house may be different than your church friend's house. So this is just an important category to think about, especially in those certain ages, you know, upper elementary to junior high school. 
And then lastly, dating. And in the book, they talk about dating, courting, and in general, just purity. So I put dating and purity. And this is a really important one. We had a whole chapter on it already, so I won't belabor it. But it's crucial that mom and dad are on the same page with this and that you think about it before it's time to date, <laughs> which your kids, uh, depending on where we're at in the country, may think it's time to date in upper elementary school um, or junior high school. But certainly you want to think about it when you're, when your children are very young, you want to have a chance to talk about, think about, build out your philosophy on this. So I think that is it, uh, for the, for the outline. So you've got the introduction, the four key principles, and then these areas, categories of materialism, reading materials, TV, movies, internet, music, school assignments, sleepovers, and dating.